When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I am back for the third season. And wow, so much has changed since season two. Mainly in that I've been on my own journey through pregnancy and have joined this crazy, incredible club of motherhood. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pip, a practicing NHS midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness. I have a somewhat relentless passion for ensuring women are empowered with real, honest and reliable information and support throughout their pregnancy. Because my goodness, pregnancy is such a powerful time in a woman's life that is often miraculous and challenging in equal measures. Over the upcoming weekly episodes, I am joined by many leading experts to bring you the evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy and motherhood journey that you need to hear. Needless to say, I had my notebook at hand when recording this season, and I would recommend the same for you too. I hope you're ready for the giggles, knowledge bombs, and empowering chats to commence. But before I get quizzing our guests on this season, I have some questions for you. Have you found yourself with unanswered pregnancy questions? Have you been guilty of trying to navigate the rabbit warren of inaccurate information on the internet? Do you feel that extra support and guidance would be useful to you? If you answered yes to any of these, then fear not. My exclusive Your Pregnancy Journey course is for you. Spaces are limited, so if expert guidance through each stage of your pregnancy and birth preparation and a community support group with 24 access to asking questions sounds like it's for you, then head over to www.midwifepip.com now to check it out. And I look forward to getting to know you better and ensuring your pregnancy journey is the most empowering and positive it can be. You'll also find information all about my antenatal course options on my website. And any questions about choosing the right course for you, then please get in touch via the contact page and I'll be there to help you navigate the right choice. We spend so much time planning for pregnancy, 
researching birth and focusing on growing the healthiest baby, analyzing all our decisions to ensure we're doing what is perceived as best for our babies. And throughout motherhood, we continue to focus our energies on our little ones, ensuring they have all they need to thrive. But who is focusing on the mum? This brand new person who is born when we birth our first child and a person who needs equal care measures. This is where postpartum nutrition is so often neglected, considered perhaps as an afterthought or buried at the bottom of the postpartum priorities pile. But my goodness, we need to unbury it and hold it in a much higher regard. Your body has been devoted to growing, nurturing and birthing a whole new life. It's undergoing a roller coaster of physiological and physical change. It has a whole journey of recovery to embark on and postpartum nutrition really is our friend on this ride. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Harriet Home, a registered nutritionist and former experienced paediatrician. After studying at Cambridge University, Harriet worked in the NHS for over a decade before focusing on nutrition. She has a PhD in genetics and is a lecturer in nutrition. Harriet's focus is science-backed nutrition, and she is passionate about sharing credible information to empower people to eat for their long-term health. Her unique skill set of medical, scientific and nutritional qualifications enables Harriet to provide personalised, expert nutrition advice, so we are in the best possible hands for today's chat. Harriet has also authored two fantastic books, Eating During Pregnancy and Postpartum Nutrition, and An Expert's Guide to Eating After a Baby. Written to support mums-to-be and new mums, both books are linked in the episode description for you to check out. Harriet is also the founder of the Eating for Health podcast, which is regularly in the top five UK nutrition podcasts. You can also find these linked in the description. But today I'm really grateful that Harriet has swapped seats and given up some time to share her wisdom with us. So welcome, Harriet, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to come on and talk with you today. Oh, thanks, Harriet. It's brilliant to have you and for using up some of your very precious time. So we are very, very grateful. I just wonder, first of all, Harriet, if we could look at what kind of interested you in going into a career in nutrition, because you were a paediatric doctor um, pre, I think, studying nutrition. Is that right? Yes, I was actually um, specialising in paediatric oncology. Uh, so it's quite, and in some ways, quite different from nutrition. Um, it's been a an interesting journey I think I wouldn't have predicted that where I was going to end up um, and I still uh, I guess may end up somewhere slightly different as it is but I think it's it's all sort of come together so my interest in medicine my interest in people my interest in problem solving and then um, specializing in pediatric oncology nutrition has obviously been sort of part of pediatrics part of pediatric oncology and then when I did my PhD in the laboratory, um, I really enjoyed um, research really and understanding the science more. And that gave me a foundation for understanding 
more about cellular models and animal models and and then being able to piece really the information together a bit better that I can understand the science behind something and then how it translates into medicine and and then I guess it was really during my PhD and understanding more about genetics that um, I was interested in the microbiome and and how important that is for long-term health and that's what interested me in nutrition a bit more and then I returned to medicine and realized that after my time out doing my PhD it wasn't for me anymore and um, I have a young family and um, I decided to step out and do nutrition instead so I became a registered nutritionist um, as you said I now lecture in nutrition and I have my own business and I'm really passionate about educating people and sharing that knowledge um, in a way that I, I think is not sensationalized it's not for quick fixes it's about long-term evidence-based nutrition and health and and how important that is together yeah oh, that's so true so actually although we kind of I guess initially I kind of thought of those two roles that you had being quite different actually they're super interlinked aren't they and that that whole kind of continuum of pregnancy nutrition into affecting the baby and the newborn and then childhood nutrition and um, obviously postpartum nutrition actually are all really interlinked aren't they I think sometimes perhaps we forget that yeah, I think they're really interlinked. And I think um, the more we know and the more we understand about things like the microbiota, the more we understand how so many things are linked, even in that um, people's response to chemotherapy is actually partly dependent on your gut bugs. So I think as we understand nutrition more, as we understand the role of the microbiota, um, we're sort of understanding more and more how things are linked. And while no food is going to cure a disease, um, certainly it can decrease your long-term risk of disease and I think for me it's that interplay between nutrition and long-term health which I find most interesting and especially you know that's sort of no more important in pregnancy and and also you know baby creating a new life and understanding how the microbiota is formed and and what impact that has on long-term health so I think that's it's really interlinked actually. That's amazing. So actually nutrition is so much more powerful than kind of getting a five a day and things like that that we often hear, isn't it? There's so much more to it. So why do you think, Harriet, that we neglect our postpartum nutrition so much? Because I know often, certainly the mums I've worked with, the friends and family that I've had that have had new, new little babies, it really is, you know, bottom of the pile. They're kind of right, baby's all fed and sleeping. What can I quickly grab? And often that is the kind of convenience food that typically we would have tried to maybe steer clear of but in the postpartum kind of sneak in a little bit more I think it's a number of reasons um I, I think first of all having a baby is a massive change it's a massive paradigm shift your body's been through you know huge physiological processes as you said during pregnancy and then labor or, or a cesarean section and your body needs time to heal you're tired you've suddenly got this baby who you have to feed and your baby is your priority then your, your priorities change and so it's all about looking after your baby and even you know, even as a pediatrician I thought that I'd be maybe more relaxed about having a new baby than I, I was I thought you know I've, see, I've seen it all before I've you know I've seen sick babies and well babies I know what to look for I I know what I'm doing um, but it's very different being a mother it's very different being on call 24 7 there's no annual leave um, and and that you suddenly have this new baby to look after. And it is scary, I think. Um, 
I, I think most people would say the same. You suddenly think, oh my goodness, I've, I've got to, you know, I'm responsible for this new life. So it's really understandable that your baby is your priority. And especially if you've already had a baby and you've got a toddler running around um, and it's not your first baby, you've then got the toddler during the day, the baby all night trying to feed it juggling. So I think, you know, your needs just fall to the bottom of the pile. And I, I don't think that's just about nutrition. I think that's probably most things and I think that happens for quite some time and that's why mums are generally you know worn ragged and uh, and trying to find that me time and, and trying to to work out how to fit that in so you know certainly I, I didn't find it easy I, I don't think that most people do and I think it's really understandable and then on top of that people think oh well if I'm breastfeeding you know all the calories will just fall off so I don't need to worry I can you know it's, it, and it's and it's maternity you know mat I'm on maternity leave and maternity leave equals cake so I think it's a combination <laughs> of you know I've just had a baby I've just you know I've, I've, I've pushed a baby out or I've had an operation I'm recovering I, I need cake and or you've been up all night and you're absolutely exhausted and that cortisol that stress hormone kicks in and and helps you know well increases your likelihood that you're going to want carbohydrates and high fat high sugar foods and because you're feeling stressed and, and exhausted so it's all very normal and very predictable but I think it's about um, then just trying to make those small changes to protect your long-term health yeah definitely Harry I'm about to start my maternity leave in a few weeks are you telling me I can't just sit and eat cake <laughs> Well, I must say I was very disappointed in my first maternity leave because I had to go on a gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free oh. diet. So I had no cake um, and uh, I'd had hyperemesis all the way through. So it oh. was, so I, cake would have been a delight. But, but so yes, I hope you get your cake. I hope you get to eat it. <laughs> I'm sure some, some cake will feature for sure. So we kind of know that, that it is a definitely a challenge of the postpartum isn't it kind of really trying to think about our nutrition but why is it really important because hopefully by us kind of understanding the benefits we can reap from it we might be able to kind of notch up that priority list a little bit or at least try and kind of focus on it perhaps more than it being a complete last resort empty calories sure so I think we we all recognize the benefits of a healthy diet you know so the fundamentals of that and now how actually having 30 grams of fiber can reduce your long-term risk of bowel cancer, eating fruit and vegetables have got all those antioxidants, the fiber, the prebiotics that feed your gut and your, your gut bugs, those microbiota, and how important they are for things like cholesterol and cardiovascular disease and, and long-term health and diabetes. So on top of those sort of fundamental things about having your fruit and vegetables, um, eating the fiber, eating whole grains instead of refined carbohydrates, eating fermented food um, to re help replenish those gut bugs and trying to avoid things like trans fats in, in commercially baked goods and sugary drinks like fizzy drinks um, and sweeteners, which aren't great for your gut health. Um, so on top of doing all that, you do actually need some extra micronutrients. And those are um, calcium, selenium and iodine. And you need those more if you're breastfeeding. Um, and that's not to help your milk supply or to help your baby. That's to help you and your long term health. So um, you should be having about 1,250 milligrams of calcium a day and, uh, and 200, milligram, 200, sorry, 200 micrograms of iodine and 60 to 70 micrograms of selenium. 
And I think that most women don't know that. Um, I didn't as a doctor um, when I had my first child. And, and so I think it's about understanding that your needs do increase quite dramatically, particularly for the calcium and how to get that. So I design, I've got on my website, they're completely free to download um, a little checklist with like an average portion size. Um, so like um, how much calcium there is in dairy, or um, tins, so salmon with bones in, so like tinned salmon eating the bones has got lots of calcium in, just so that you know, all oh, right, that's what 1,250 milligrams looks like. And I certainly wouldn't want anyone to weigh food, but I think it's really useful knowledge to know like, all oh, right, a portion of this equals, you know, half of my calcium. And so that you can, you're empowered then to look after your own health during breastfeeding um, and, and know how to get selenium, you know, it's just a couple of Brazil nuts a day or, you know, some other items, but about how to get it and so that you know that you're meeting those micronutrient needs. Oh, that sounds really helpful because otherwise when we talk about numerical values, let's face it to most of us, that means nothing. You know, that that number doesn't mean equate to anything to me, but actually having that visual of this much food contains this, you can then quite easily work out how you can boost that in your diet. And then it might just be those little small changes. Mm. So it's not this massive overhaul, time consuming, troublesome thing we might think it might be. It might just be having that bit of extra, like you say, a couple of Brazil nuts. So I'll make sure that's also linked because I think that'd be super helpful um, in the description for mums that are listening to just think about those small little tweaks that we can make that actually will be really, really beneficial. Absolutely. And it is it is small tweaks like that, just knowing, oh, all right, I need a, you know, an extra portion of protein or an extra portion of calcium, you know, really will make a difference and, and are really just small tweaks and easy to add into you know, to your diet, um, but will help your long term health. So um, I think it's really hard as well for people to know in quantities, which is why I've done it, you know, a little tiny checklist, no weighing, there's nothing complicated. It's just, you know, to help you. Brilliant. That sounds exactly what we need. We like straightforward in the postnatal, especially when you're sleep deprived. And Absolutely. Navigating I'm a whole more than aware of that. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah. tough. And also just to add, I think that women that are on an exclusion diet, it's really tough for those women. Um, and and so, for example, if your baby has cow's milk protein allergy, which which mine did, you know, it's really great. There are loads of different um, dairy free plant based milks or you might be vegan or you might you know, drink them for, because you like them or um, you, you think it's better for the planet. You know, there are lots of reasons why people drink um, plant based milks these days. But just to highlight that, don't choose an organic plant based milk because they're not fortified. And so it's only the non-organic milks that have got the calcium. And some of them have also got iodine in, which is really great. So like Oatly's got iodine, M&S got iodine. So check that when you're having your plant-based milk, it has got that iodine in it as well as the calcium. Oh, that's really interesting, actually, especially because I imagine a lots of mums in the postpartum will think, well, if I go for the organic, then that yes. must be better from a nutritional perspective. But actually, we need to be reading those labels a little bit closer. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. So you mentioned there, Harriet, some of the vital um, micronutrients that we need to be kind of focusing on in the postpartum. Are there any other kind of key nutrients that we need to kind of consider in our in our recovery and obviously for feeding our babies? Um, so some women will have lost some blood and so they might have less iron and and uh, you'll either be given an iron supplement or some women will be having um, a, have a blood transfusion. But for most women, they don't need iron supplements and you can just eat iron rich items in your diet. There are lots of both 
plant-based so that's non-heme iron and also heme iron so that's from meat red meat and if you're going for the um the plant-based non-heme iron try and have that with some vitamin c at the same time so it increases the bioavailability so have some lemon juice or have some blueberries for pudding or, or something like that and also try to avoid drinking um, things with caffeine so tea and coffee within two hours of eating because that reduces the bioabsorption as well Oh, that is a good a good tip. And I think iron's one of those things that women will quite often rightly say try and optimize in pregnancy to try to um, I guess boost their postpartum recovery because we know that our bodies are expected to lose some blood and therefore some some iron stores following better. We often hear so in the um, in the postpartum or in, in a breastfeeding mum specifically that we know that breastfeeding does utilize more energy even than perhaps pregnancy itself. And often we hear the number sort of 300 calories as being kind of an expected en energy expenditure of a breastfeeding mum. How can we look at that in terms of um, ensuring we supplement those calories? Because obviously we don't want to be allowing our bodies to run into a deficit when we're trying to produce milk and recover from birth. Um, and have you got any tips to kind of supplementing that in a nice healthy way? So I think that I think that calories are a really broad brushstroke and I, I'd actually try to sort of think of more about avoiding using them in that they are they're sort of so I guess it's such a, a blunt tool for thinking about things and your body is so much more complicated than 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 just calories so I'll just give you an example so say for example you ate sweet corn well we all know that if you eat sort of corn on the cob most of it's just going to come out in the in the toilet <laughs> and so your sort of calorie you're hardly you really your calorie input from that is is very minimal but if you grind up sweet corn and eat it say as a tortilla or something then you're going to absorb the calories a lot more and how people um, define a calorie is the amount of energy that it takes when you burn a food to heat a specific volume of water but we don't we're not burning food inside our bodies we're metabolizing it everyone's slightly different and our energy needs are, are also you know different depending on our physical activity and um and our metabolism and our metabolic rate so i think what you know while it's sort of useful at a population level to think our, our needs might be a bit more during breastfeeding and pregnancy we have really complex mechanisms within our bodies of hunger hormones and appetite hormones that will regulate how much we actually need and I think it's better just to eat when you're hungry eat when you're so physically hungry when you feel physically hungry um that not try to avoid eating just because you so what's called sort of emotional hunger so emotional hunger is when you the hunger comes on really quickly only something specific like a chocolate biscuit will do <laughs> and then you eat it and and it doesn't make any difference you don't feel satiated you just feel a bit rubbish from having eaten a biscuit um whereas physical hunger sort of slowly builds you um anything will anything will satiate you you feel satiated and then you know you feel good and off you go and i think it's therefore more about eating without distraction without the tv on without reading if you, you know those kind of things think about eating eat healthy choices and um and by that and back to that you know, fruit and vegetables whole grains you know lean protein fermented food and most people if they're eating that they're not 
it's not going to be too many calories. And if you're listening and eating when you're hungry, it's not going to be too few either. And I think also just to add that we know that sort of weight is actually quite a complicated topic in that we used to think that it was just a simple matter of energy in um, minus energy out. So whatever energy we use for sort of exercise and, and things equaled our weight. But now we know that actually the microbiota, so those gut bugs again, actually have a really important role in it. And they've um, done studies in both mice that have been replicated in humans where they've shown that if you feed a mouse this exactly the same healthy chow diet and you take some uh, poo from an obese human and put it in to the gut of the mouse, so it's called a fecal transplant, that they gain weight on the same diet. And you can reverse that by taking poo from a lean human and putting it in the gut of another fecal transplant and they, they lose weight. So it's not just about what we eat or how much we eat, it's also about what we eat. And so it's just that sort of overall thing, I think, about not focusing on specific food groups or calories or quantities, but listening to your body, eating those healthy foods that are going to um, help not just um, in the short term, but the longer term about um, those healthy choices, really. Definitely. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think there was a study that looked at um, the nutrition, you'll probably know this much better than you, your paediatric history, but the nutrition of um, children, like the first, is it first year of life or first five years of life and how that can really impact their kind of long-term health and wellness. And we know that, you know, young children, especially toddlers, they want whatever mum and dad have got, don't they? Or parents or carers have got, you know, whatever that thing is you're eating, they want. So mm -hmm. actually setting those examples for them is, is really important as well. And the postpartum is, a, I guess, a great time to start adapting those habits. Yeah, there's, there's lots of really interesting studies on it. You're right. So there's um, something called the Barker hypothesis, which has looked at babies who are born um, small for gestational date so that so babies that are born small that, um, that if they catch up their weight very quickly um, it's probably they're actually at increased risk of diabetes and long-term health issues and that's we think probably due to what's called epigenetic signaling or um, so when you have your DNA and you have the base pairs linked and you've got your four base pairs and your um, your double helix, that's your, your DNA, which makes up your chromosomes. We now know that there are switches on the top of those, um, those, those base pairs that switch on and off the genes. And that's called epigenetics. And it's done through um, through chemical adding chemicals on and off. So methylation and unmethylation. And um, we're only just beginning to really understand that. But it's thought that the in, in utero environment actually um, modulates those epigenetic switches. And so if you're small in utero, it sort of puts the baby into this or, or changes their epigenetics so that they are pre-programmed almost to put on weight much quicker um, as soon as they have access to more food and, and are fed outside, you know, when they're born. So it's lots of um, really, really interesting research coming out about, you know, the importance of nutrition during pregnancy, the importance of, of nutrition um, after, the importance of particularly gut health and how that impacts children longer term. So things like if you breastfeed for the first um, three to four months, but early early wean. So if you're weaning early at around three to four months, you actually increase um, some of the 
long-term risk of asthma, oh, sorry, not asthma, but wheeze and eczema. But if you breastfeed for longer, so if you breastfeed for more than five months, that actually protects you from that effect. So we're understanding about the role of breast milk and the role of the formation of the child, micro, the infant microbiota and how that affects their long-term risk of disease. So there's lots of really new and exciting um, information. And I think it's really important to share that with women and also about how the microbiota of your baby actually is different if you formula feed, if you combination feed, if you breastfeed, and even if you have exclusively pumped milk. So it's actually a different, um, different microbiota in babies that are exclusively on pumped breast milk as opposed to having it direct transfer from the breast. So there's evidence to suggest that there's a, a two-way communication between the baby's mouth and the breast and that that um, modulates the microbiota as well. So we don't know what the long-term um, meaning of that is yet, but there certainly do appear to be differences and it'll be really fascinating in years to come to find out what, what that means really. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that. That's amazing. And I think definitely gut microbiome and, and gut health is one of those things where the evidence over the last few years has just kind of kept coming, hasn't it? And it's mm. absolutely fascinating. And the power specific to kind of pregnancy and, and postpartum on childhood health is amazing. And we're sort mm. of connecting those links up, aren't we? So yeah, I agree. Those kind of longer term studies that we might see over the coming years will be absolutely fascinating. Yes, absolutely. But it is really difficult to do studies in nutrition and to do them well. And I think that's partly because there are just so many confounders. For example, you're trying to sort of unpick if there's any benefit of organic food is really difficult because most people that eat organic food may well be a bit more health conscious and might go to the gym a bit more and, and do other things. So to try, and, it's much harder than you know, sort of looking at the effects of a, of a drug, say, for example, and the best drug studies are all what's called biomarker led. So you're looking for a specific chemical change, but we don't have that to the same degree in nutrition. And, and so studies are a lot harder. You need uh, that many, many, many thousands of people to, to unpick those, those uh, changes. So it's, it's difficult, but I hope that they, you know, we will learn more. Um, there's certainly lots and lots to learn about the microbiota and, and our, you know, our understanding really is in its infancy about that. So it's a fascinating topic. Yeah, definitely. But we're just kind of scratching the surface, but already that's fascinating. I love it. So, so interesting stuff to come for the future, most definitely. I also wonder, Harriet, whether there's any changes to mum's metabolism post-birth. This is another thing that we kind of hear thrown around quite a bit. Um, so I think that's a really difficult question to answer. Um, partly, I, I think I should just sort of clarify a couple of terms. So metabolism is it describes all the chemical processes that occur um, in your body in order to keep you alive. So that's how your body converts food and, and drink into energy. Whereas your basal me metabolic rate is the energy required for performing vital body functions at complete rest. So people sort of think metabolism and metabolic rate are the same, I think. And so metabolism is just that breaking down of the food and, and harnessing the energy from it whereas the metabolic rate is how much you're you're using the energy every day so basal metabolic rate doesn't change hugely um, it can be changed by um, things like 
starvation if you increase your exercise it changes it slightly and it is slightly changed by estrogen as well so sort of hormonal process of pregnancy and and birth may may change it too but really it's something that we can't really we don't really have any control or very little control over and I think lots of people think oh um oh I'm 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 thinner or I'm if uh, put on a bit of weight because my metabolic rate is slowed down but actually people that are, um, are heavier actually have a higher metabolic rate because it requires more energy to to move around and uh, and you need more energy so I think it's um it's less about focusing on on that more about for me those healthy changes of of eating and also getting back to you know some physical exercise once you're well enough once you've had your six-week check or you're you're recovered from your c-section yeah definitely and I think we've all we've already started to touch on how powerful nutrition can be so that kind of partly answers my next question Harriet but I I just want to talk about how we need to move away from this kind of focus that some women might have and certainly the media hasn't helped this at all but why kind of losing weight in the postpartum or that awful term that we hear that kind of bounce back and um, why that shouldn't be our primary focus when it comes to our nutrition and why we should be focusing on these other things that we've started to discuss look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I agree. I completely agree. I couldn't have put it better myself. I think there's a huge celebrity and social influencer-led culture and the media you know, all about the pressure to bounce back. And, and undoubtedly, I think most women will feel that. Um, but instead, I think it's about you thinking of your long-term health and your baby's health and not having quick fixes about um, going on a crash diet or, or doing anything like that. But it's about having those um, healthy choices long-term and that not being a, a, di a diet, but actually being the way you eat for life. And I think that's a much more sustainable and, and better for you, better for your baby, better for modeling for your older children. Um, and that, um, you know, I, I know lots of people have, have sort of described it in the same way, but your body's been through an immense series of changes. It will take a while to get back to its normal state. That's completely normal. We're not meant to bounce back. And I think, you know, you've got enough pressure as a, a newborn, as a, as a mum with a newborn and, you know, really park that mum guilt. There's, there's loads of mum guilt that needs to be parked for so many topics. And that certainly is one of them. So instead, you know, think about you know, eating well, eating healthily for long term, because there's loads of evidence suggests that if you go on a crash diet, you actually put more weight back on afterwards. And um, so I think it's just about you know, getting back to or, or keeping up depends what you, how you how you coped in pregnancy. For me, I know that I I, I my diet was horrendous. So I only ate special K because that's all I could eat. <laughs> um, so it's about you know, making those healthy choices that feel like they're a regular part of your routine that they don't feel like you're restricting food um, that you're not cutting out major food groups because it's really difficult to maintain long term and and that you're enjoying 
enjoying lots of variety, lots of healthy food, lots of healthy, tasty food. And because healthy food doesn't need to be boring, it doesn't need to be tasteless, and you don't need to feel hungry all the time to lose weight. You can um, you lose weight in a sustainable way where you're not going to put it back on, where you're going to take some time to eat healthily, nourish your body, and look after your baby, and and do that slowly. And and you'll get there. That you know, it's thinking about about. I think that long-term approach. Definitely. And I love what you just said about nourishing your body and looking after your baby. Because I do think in the postpartum, really, they need to be our fundamental focuses, um, not kind of all the other external pressures that we might get, but actually recognizing that incredible life-changing journey that your body has been on and how devoted it has been to other things and how actually now it's really important that we nourish it back to health. And I think the more we understand the power of postnatal nutrition and try and look at foods, like you said, rather than looking at them in terms of their calorie um, uh, totals, but actually instead looking at them in terms of the nutritional compounds that they contain and how they're going to support our body. That's so much more of an empowering way to focus on what we're consuming than kind of a numerical value mm. um, in terms of calories. Absolutely. And, and also, I think that there are lots of cultures. Um, I did my husband's Turkish. I know that he has this in Turkey. And I spoke to the GP mum. So Stephanie, I know she was saying that they have it in China. And I think um, Poonam, another GP, mm. she was saying that in India, they have the same thing where you have a sort of, I think it's called confinement. I don't know what the Turkish word is for it, but I think uh, Stephanie was saying that it's confinement in Chinese, where for the first 60 days, you're not allowed out of the house or, or however many days, depending on your culture, that it's all about focusing on the mum and the baby. And I think um, while you know, that might be quite strict in some cultures, I think we could probably all do with a bit of benefit from that, you know, it, that we shouldn't be having the pressure of having a clean, tidy house and welcoming lots of people around and having, you know, food to feed them that actually it should be looking after the mum and baby and you know, resting after a really a bit, a big deal, either really major surgery or you know, giving birth is, is really major too. And I think it's about that. Um, and I think if you can prepare before, so during pregnancy, if you can batch cook anything and, and get that ready for those, you know, first few weeks and um, it, it will really help you and also I know that um, a few of my friends did a really lovely thing where um, if someone had a baby they dropped you know a couple of meals off which I think is a really lovely thing to do for people and and it's actually nicer than giving another baby grow in some ways because it's it's really looking after mum and baby and I think you know that can be really easily forgotten. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I, always, I think it should be almost an unwritten rule that if you're visiting a new mum, you either do some ironing yes. or you bring a home cooked meal or fill their freezer with something. And I Absolutely. always encourage mums to kind of, you know, in the typical baby shower gift, you know, with the hundreds of grey or yellow baby grows mm. that that really realistically are almost disposable at the rate that, that babies grow. But actually, you know, like a, a voucher for one of those healthy um, kind of ready meal, but but nutritious ready meal um, kind of delivery services or, you know, things like that, that actually will really, really support mum. Because I think we often forget, don't we? we totally forget about mums and we can definitely learn something from that kind of staying in, resting, nurturing mum and baby and letting all of those other mundane tasks be done by friends and family. So accepting Absolutely. help is so important. Yes, and I think, you know, do accept help, accept any help you can. And instead of um, cleaning your house or feeling you should be you know, keeping up with life, sleep when your baby sleeps. And, and you know, maybe if you have time or you've got a partner, um, get them to prepare 
nice healthy snacks so that you've got you know like apple slices with nut butter or something um instead of reaching for the, the nearest biscuit or, or something so i think if you've got them ready you've washed your fruit and vegetables so you can snack on those um it's much easier to, to to eat healthily and have those things when you're you know you're hungry and you're, you, you've got a baby and they're screaming and you're trying to breastfeed I think that's one of the things that people find um, so appealing about a biscuit is it's quick where if you've got to go to the fridge and you've got to wash fruit or you know, prepare it you just think oh just have the biscuit so wash your fruit have it ready cut your carrots up uh, get your dip ready and um, and you'll be more likely to choose them than the biscuit. And also it's one handed food, isn't it? Which when mm. the base bottom is really key. So, I mean, you can easily make, you know, it's planning ahead, isn't it? And if you can plan at the end of your pregnancy, even better, but, mm. you know, making a little batch of um, like homemade biscuits that are made from dates and nuts and oats um, kind of yeah. blended down perhaps with some, you know, nut butter for some good fats yeah. and protein, really easy. It doesn't need baking, can just be done in a one-off blender, um, kept in your fridge for a long, fairly long time. And again, you've got that quick, quick go-to but with a big nutrition bonus rather than just sugar that you're going to cause spikes and you'll be starving again in, in 20 minutes yeah absolutely absolutely and also it's, I think I don't normally I'm not I'm normally a fan of smoothies at all because I think instead of having the fruit or the vegetables blended down where you're um, destroying some of that uh, fiber you're much better off having the whole fruit the whole vegetables because you're that's what the fiber is intact and that fiber is really important to your gut health and those microbiota but actually I think you know if you've just had a baby a smoothie can be really useful it's really quick it's one-handed you can you know pop some kefir yogurt in it or had some kefir add some fruit and vegetables add some chia seeds or flat you know get your, your cut fiber in fiber is not just important for that long-term health but um, after you've had your baby eat lots of fiber it will help you go to the toilet and uh and that that's always you know tricky after birth however the babies come out so I think um you know that will really help that's a really good point I think that's one of the probably one of the biggest postpartum fears isn't it the first time you need mm. to go for a poo and definitely yeah. a fiber rich and well hydrated diet I mean hydration is so important as well I'm sure you'd agree but trying to balance that will really really help uh, make that an, an easier first postpartum task I suppose yes yes <laughs> we've we've talked a little bit about breastfeeding Harriet but I wonder if there's is there any kind of key considerations we should think about for breastfeeding mothers um so those that calcium selenium and the iodine are specifically for breastfeeding mothers so certainly those um otherwise I don't think you need to be doing anything special other than just making sure you meet those nutrients if you're breastfeeding um and breastfeeding is is really important for microbiota development in the baby and I I think um, just knowing that you're doing a really fantastic job if you're able to breastfeed and and, and doing that um, but also that if you aren't that we know that microbiota formation in the baby probably happens even before birth and is also dependent on things like if you've got pets if you've got siblings how the baby was born as well so there are sort of multi mul sort of multiple factors that that um that are all important amazing now we talked a bit about batch cooking which i'm a, a massive fan of and actually it's on my to-do list over the next couple of months is to start filling a freezer ready for our postpartum mm -hmm. journey but is there anything else that you would recommend harry or that we can do to try and kind of plan and prepare for an easy and quick but a nourishing kind of postpartum when it comes to our our food choices 
So I think meal planning is um, is quicker, it's easier. You're more likely to have um, healthier food and meals if you plan them and you've got the food. So I I meal plan. I would recommend doing that. And then if you can order your shopping online and you've got a regular shop, so you're not having to go out, traipse around the shops, or you know, oh my goodness, I've forgotten various things. You've got all the food there. You've planned the meals, and and then it's just a matter of the small matter of cooking them i think if you can get anyone to help with cooking or um you know uh that's undoubtedly helpful and i think if your partner if you um have one can do the cooking to take the pressure off you i think that makes a really really big difference or if you're you know if you've got parents and all parents that could come around and help certainly in that initial period and um and so i think just just doing that really having those healthy choices in the fridge you're much more likely to eat healthily and um and knowing what sort of healthy means so back to those things i sort of said before and and having healthy snack ideas like you know whole grain cracker with some cheese or uh kefir yogurt and just those small changes so going from kefir to from normal yogurt to kefir or going from refined carbohydrates to whole grain carbohydrates will all really help and all those small changes will add up definitely i think sometimes snacking can probably be the biggest hurdle because i think we get can get our idea our heads around the idea of making a um healthy meal so i mean think like quick things like stir fries doesn't have to be you know some big michelin star feast it can be quick easy um and and fresh food but actually stacking is quite often i think where we can fall down because of that convenience Mm. so certainly planning ahead with that is is a really good idea Harriet, you mentioned kefir a little bit. I wonder if you can just touch on the kind of benefits of that and why it is um, is, a, is a good choice for us, especially in the postpartum. Sure. So um, fermented foods have got more bugs in them. So they are they're sort of cultured. And if you think of like a sort of pecking order, um, so at the top would be those really fermented foods like kefir and then um bio yogurt has some bacteria but far less than kefir and then at the bottom you just have your standard yogurt which doesn't have any bacteria in it so what you're looking for is bacteria that will help you nourish your microbiota and we know that a good healthy microbiota has got lots of diversity and lots of quantity um so it's about having variety having different fermented foods so kefir um and also raw fermented sauerkraut and kimchi there's the korean version of uh, kimchi of uh, sauerkraut so they they're all the sort of fermented vegetables uh they've got quite a sort of umami taste they're really quite savory uh some people like me love them uh they're quite an acquired taste but if you can try and have a variety vary the brand vary the type you know vary what you're eating and when and and just think of of, of lots of sort of variety I think is a really key key word because the more you change it up and mix it up and have different brands and different um different versions of things the more nutrients and the more variety of nutrients the more variety of bugs you're going to get and going to be exposed to and you know we think that's all really beneficial so it's kind of like keeping just guessing (laughs) like yes but yeah but also you know each one's going to have slightly different bacteria in it and slightly different gut bugs and that's great and you can make them at home um you know, kefir is actually really easy to make um you can buy yourself some kefir grains and just 
it, they are really really easy there's so many youtube videos on how to, to make them it's, it's simple um but there are some really great um brands i particularly like the year valley spoonable yogurt it's really accessible it doesn't taste disgusting you're not thinking oh my goodness you know i've got to hold my nose to like swallow it down it's really delicious you know you could have it for breakfast or a, a really healthy snack with some fruit and some nuts and some seeds um and you know you're you're actually helping your your gut bugs as well and i think that's why i really steer clear of thinking about calories but more about you know, the nutritious benefit of food oh absolutely and i think that's a headspace that that we need to try and push more and more, especially mm. when it comes to the real powerful times of pregnancy and the postpartum. Um, because as, as we've kind of scratched the surface on today, really, is how powerful our nutrition can be in, in our long-term and our child's long-term wellness. Um, and all mum's focus really is on building the, the healthiest and longevity future for their, for their child. So nutrition can absolutely play a, a massive role in that, which is brilliant. Yeah, it really can. And I think if you're sort of just sort of good to go back about um, postpartum weight or some things, I think if you're sort of considering a you know, low carb diet and a ketogenic diet, there's so much focus in the media about the you know, Atkins diet and diets like that. It's really it sounds really appealing to lose weight on on those diets, but just a sort of a note of caution that um, ketogenic diets were actually um, found or sort of devised for children with intractable epilepsy so that was epilepsy that didn't respond to treatment and they were really only ever meant to be a very short-term solution so a maximum of two years they were very tightly controlled and the, the fats um, that were replacing carbohydrate were very tightly controlled and um, special types of fats that were replacing it and it's a long way from the sort of Atkins diet of cut out your carbs have lots of sausages and cheese and bacon and um there's actually been really good quality evidence with lots of people over a long period of time really good study that actually found that if you cut out carbohydrates and you replace it with animal fats and proteins that it actually increases your long-term risk of all-cause mortality and morbidity so things like cardiovascular disease diabetes and cancer and if you cut out carbohydrates but replace it with animal um, sorry with plant-based fats and proteins you actually have the reverse effect so it actually um, decreases your risk of morbidity and mortality so i think it's about um it's really about looking after your body trying to avoid cutting those big food groups out and following the latest dietary trend um, because there's so much more you know to those things and it's often the sort of the sexy headline of I lost you know 20 kilos on the Atkins and I ate a great diet of you know bacon and cheese and it was delicious that you know you, that you, you just don't see the real evidence and what harm it might actually be doing so I think it's I just you know, keep back to that same focus of you know really healthy diet for your long term without cutting lots of food groups out without cutting out the variety the interest or the taste Definitely, because also a diet that cuts out a major food group also sounds very miserable. <laughs> and it's really hard to maintain long term, which is why most people don't you know, carry on with the you know, keto diet or yeah. you know, a low carb diet for very long. Because we want to be able to enjoy what we're eating as well, right? Food is a massive mm. emotive thing and it's important that we get that balance and we can, I mean, healthy food can be absolutely delicious. I'm a, mm. a massive fan of it and it's experimenting so that you actually find what is nourishing your body and that what, what you enjoy as well. Getting that balance Abs is key. Yeah, absolutely. I think food, you know, is a massive part of our cultural, uh, you know, 
cultural way of life and society and enjoyment and food isn't just about nutrients it is about enjoying it and I think you know that's about having a piece of birthday cake on your birthday and and taking a pragmatic approach but um but eating lots of delicious healthy food so you don't feel you are restricted in any way absolutely I love that so Harry I wonder if you could share three of your top tips with us um about kind of um nutrition in the postpartum I, mean, I apologize for putting you on the spot but I, I always like to try and uh, round us up with three of those kind of real take-home top tips to share with either new or expectant mums that's fine um I think my first one would be get those nutrients in if you're breastfeeding the extra calcium selenium and iodine my next one is I think that you know there is overwhelming evidence to support the benefits of breastfeeding and if you can breastfeed I think that's going to help your long-term health, lowering your risk of, of diabetes and cancer, breast cancer, and also you know, helping your baby. Um, and then I think it's just eating those, prepare as much as you can, get as much help and have a, a happy, healthy, varied diet that you can sustain for life and without pressure to bounce back and you know, be a model, modeling a size eight clothes straight away. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Avoid that, that social pressure. And actually, I think mm. sometimes you almost in that postpartum need to do a little bit of a selective cull. So if you are someone that ends up on social media looking at all of these, you know, two week postnatal models that look like, like they're about to walk down the catwalk, then perhaps is a time just to remove that from, from what you're looking and, and maybe unfollow some of these people. They're not going to be offended or even know. But it's important that we protect our minds when we're sleep deprived and hormonal and things like that as well. Yes, absolutely. And if you're breastfeeding or you're feeding your baby, you know, however you're feeding and you're up at 4am and you're looking at these things, I think it's a lot easier to be um, you know, triggered or affected by them. So I, I agree. I think a social cull get some real mums who are you know speaking the truth and yeah. uh are not instagram i think so much is fake on instagram it's about you know finding finding some mums finding an nct group or some local mums who are all going through the same shared experiences and you know and just thinking about your long-term health no quick fixes yeah keeping it real isn't it harriet mm. thank you so much i'm really grateful for your time and for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us um, and I will, as I said, link all of your um, books and also your website to those brilliant little micronutrients um, infographics as well in the description. So please, mums, feel free to check those out for lots more brilliant information. And thank you, Harriet, for your time. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women I can reach out to and empower with this information. For more daily free information, inspiration or details on my bespoke antenatal education courses or your pregnancy journey course, then head over to my website www.midwifepip.com and check out my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.